Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be discussing how far your money may go in today's economy. Also, seven mistakes many landlords make when it comes to their real estate portfolio. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom, of course, and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. Certainly hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We appreciate you joining us each and every week here for Growing Your Wealth. We got so many great shows lined up for us here in 2024, so stay tuned. Brian, I read the other day an interesting article that suggested how long a million dollars would last in retirement in each state. Now, Mississippi was the best, suggesting that a million dollars would last around 22.7 years. Hawaii was the worst for retirees, suggesting that a million dollars would last about 10.3 years. Washington State came in at about 16.8 years. What do you think of this claim? Well, you got to take all this uh, with a grain of salt. When you're reading stuff or listening to people, and you know, I'll put myself in, in that group too, you know, challenge what I'm saying. Uh, am, I, am I telling the truth? Am I trying to manipulate you? Am I trying to get you to do something you don't want to do? Am I uh, leaving things out? Jeff, I, I want to thank you on air for your awesome Christmas present. One of the presents <laughs> you gave me was my favorite textbook of all time. It all right. was How to Lie with Statistics. I mean, it was written in the 50s, I think it was. You it got was. me an original book. Yep. It had the old, old illustrations. It was kind of musky. The cover was just yellow. I knew uh, you'd it love it. awesome. Yeah. I love that book. It's my favorite one. And so pretty much uh, they call it clickbait. I mean, when you're going yeah. online and you see a salacious headline, their goal is to get you to click on it. And that's what this is. You know, how long will a million dollars last? Well, it'll last my whole retirement. Are you kidding me? I remember, Jeff, when I was a young man, I was I was always thinking, gosh, how would anybody ever make a million dollars in their lifetime working? So yeah. what's the chances of anybody actually being a millionaire someday? And how could that even be? I mean, you'd have to save up 33000 a year for 30 years or what, you know, whatever. And I'm going, how could that be? Gosh, I don't even know anybody that makes 33000 a year. <laughs> and uh, how could anybody ever, I wonder if I'll ever meet a millionaire, you know? Yeah. I remember those thoughts. Of course, hamburgers were 19 cents back uh, when we were riding horses to the drive through there. Yeah. But inflation happens and the economy's changed and, and all the things happened over the last 30, 40 years. And, and now you read an article and go, how long will a million dollars last? And you go, okay, let me go to the cheapest state in the entire nation. And it says, it ain't going to last your retirement years. <laughs> it's like, what? I got a million dollars and I can't even make it? 
what is wrong with me? What am I going to do? You know, it's it's, it's one of these salacious, uh, again, clickbait kind of things. They get paid for you to click on it. What's right. your motivation? Always follow the money. So don't believe a headline just because it says something salacious. Let's let's examine what's behind that. I'll pull out my textbook, How to Lie with Statistics, and try and start breaking this up because that's what the book was about. It wasn't about how to lie. It's about how to uncover lies is really what it was about. And we need to uncover lies when we're listening to anybody on the radio, anybody. Uh, we're going to do a future show on this where we're going to talk about how people in my industry are claiming that they give tax planning advice and all this stuff. And you go on their websites and the fine print, it says, you cannot rely on anybody from our firm to give tax advice. We are unlicensed to give it. Mm-hmm. Consult a qualified advisor, not us. And I was like, wow, but you're giving tax advice. You're just saying that you're not qualified. Oh, or licensed, or we can't rely on any of it. And you're just skating around all that stuff and lying to me. So we have to know when we're reading, listening to somebody, reading uh, something like that, what is their motivation? Should I be listening to this? Put it to the test. Again, put my stuff to the test, Look, you know, and, and analyze it. Go to my website, watch some of these videos. I got a hundred of them on there uh, on different topics and kind of go through that stuff. Don't just assume when I say something that's absolutely right or anybody else for that matter. So a word to the wise, a million dollars may be enough for your retirement. And we're, we're going to be talking about that. Yeah, well, to be perfectly transparent, Brian, I mean, having done this show with you so many years, I know the things to uh, read that may have some meat to them. This didn't appear to have a lot of meat to it, but let's explore it a little bit further. I mean, a million dollars, like you said, it used to be a great amount of money. Today, it's not that much, but let's talk about the state of Mississippi. That was the cheapest one, 22.7 years. How do you figure that they came to that particular number? I mean, how did they break it down to determine that 22 plus years would pass and you'd have enough money with a million bucks. Yeah, so for most people, uh, they're saying, well, I need a retirement that lasts more than 22 years. I mean, one of our taglines is, do you want a retirement that lasts you 30 years or more? Right. And well, if that's the case, then I can't even talk to you if you only have a million dollars, evidently, according to this article. Well, we can. <laughs> so, you know, and, and we have our set minimums at 500000 of investable assets for new clients. And, and some people have, have questioned that before I get you know to your question there, Jeff. I just wanted to comment on this. Some people question that as like, why is that number so high? And, you know, there's truth to everything. Thing. There's some truth in this article. Okay. There's some stuff that I don't buy and there's there's a couple things that are true. One is, you know, if we set our, our minimum, we, you know, we're, we're trying to help people plan for their retirement and invest their money, uh, you know, talk about their life, how they want to live their life, be smart tax wise, you know, estate planning, gift planning, all that kind of stuff. And to do that, you know, we need the, the tools to work with that. If they had written this article and, and it was saying, you know, how to retire on 300000 or 200000 well, that's pretty tough to do anywhere, I, I would say, in the United States. So that's more about budgetary planning. And so I, I think when we, I look at this, I go, okay, you got two three $300,000 saved for retirement. You really need more of a budgetary planner than you do a financial advisor like ourselves. Whereas when you're above 500000 now we, okay, now we're actually doing retirement planning. So that's kind of one way I kind of look at that. But I think in this article, when I I tried to decipher, okay, where is your data coming from? And it was, you know, average, averages, average, average. Well, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to me today is not average. There's, they're either above or below the average in there, all these different categories. And one of the categories, and the biggest one probably was housing costs. It is a lot cheaper to live in Mississippi than it is Hawaii. It's a, a lot cheaper to live in, in Alabama than Utah. 
Okay, especially when you're doing average housing, because average housing will take in average mortgages, average rent costs, all this stuff. And so in their statistic, the first problem with this article in these statistics, and this I, I love doing this, ripping, <laughs> ripping apart things for statistically, <laughs> is that let's say you say, well, well, gosh, Brian, my house is paid for. Yeah, I live in Hawaii. Yeah, I live in Utah. Yeah, I live in Washington. Yeah, I live you know wherever I am. But my house is paid for. Should I be different? I'm like, absolutely. When we do a financial plan, we're not going to plug in the average housing costs of living in Hawaii into your plan or Utah or whatever if your house is paid for. We know you have property taxes, insurance, and that kind of thing, but you don't have a mortgage. So already the stat is way off. They're saying, well, it won't last you very long there. Well, it might if your house is paid for. So one of the things we've always said on this show, because I get asked this all the time, is it a, a bad idea to pay off my house? I lose the tax deduction. And I'm like, no, it's not a bad idea if you're in retirement. What a great thing to know when you wake up that your house is paid for. You don't have a mortgage when you're not working anymore. That's kind of a really nice thing to have. So most people would want to have their house paid for. So again, already that stat is off and, and that that's they're plugging in again an average housing cost when your housing costs may be very dissimilar from average. Brian, I was recently in Southern California visiting the kids, and I paid something like $5 a gallon for gasoline. As a matter of fact, it was $5 a gallon. I filled the car up, three-quarters of a tank. cost me 90 bucks to do that. But I also have a home in Tennessee where it's uh, $2.49 a gallon, and the big difference there is going to be taxes. I would imagine that taxes plays a big role in how far a million dollars is going to go. Taxes play a huge role, so uh, that's a good one there. Property taxes is an enormous uh, differentiator there between the different states. Income tax. Some states have no income tax. Some have medium. Some are very high, like California, Hawaii, New York. So the income tax component can be a huge number here. So that absolutely is part of it. But even like gas tax, you know, I, I kind of chuckle when I've got clients that come in and they'll just complain about, you know, the gas price here. Because right. in the state that I'm in, huge taxes. I haven't paid under $4 for a gallon of gas since I can remember. Mm. And so they're complaining about that, complaining about it. saying, well, how many miles a year do you drive? And I'll, I'll punch it out. It's like, wow, it's costing you an extra, you know, $400 a year. What's your net worth? $8 million? <laughs> Pretty sure we don't care how much gas costs because you don't drive because you don't work anymore and you're kind of a homebody and you like gardening and, and hanging out the house and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, okay, you can worry about things outside of your control, but I would suggest maybe in these cases, don't worry about stuff outside of your control, especially when it's immaterial to your life as a whole anyway. If that's going to drive you crazy, move on. But uh, certainly, yeah, taxes are a big deal. One of the things I think there are article would be speaking to is behind the scenes. I haven't seen their computations, but inflation. Now that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I talked about the 19 cent, you know, hamburgers and, and so forth. You know, that was a real thing. 32 cent gasoline. Uh, that was a real thing. Uh, houses for 5,000 or whatever. That was a real thing uh, when I was uh, a young man. And so inflation is real. And especially with housing costs, you know, if, if you didn't get in, in in some of these markets, try and buy a house in, you know, Park City or, or right. Bellevue, Washington or some of these places. It's like, oh, okay, a starting price. I remember I was in Park City and, and I just for fun, I was like, I wonder what a regular house, you know, like under 2 million goes for. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> there's only like two houses yeah. listed. And, I, and then I punched in 15 million 
million dollar plus and I got a whole slew of houses and I go, oh, okay. Same thing in Bellevue, Washington. I think the average house price is about a 1.6 million. And I'm like, okay, a young person making, you know, 200,000 a year. Good luck with that. You know, all of your income would go to a mortgage. So you you can't even live in these places if you're starting out. But for those of us uh, lucky enough to have bought a long time ago and, you know, worked hard and working down our mortgage, if our house is paid for, again, the statistic just doesn't line up with maybe what our reality might be. Brian, I looked and looked as I read this article, the part of it that I read, and I could not find what these people were invested in. Yeah, that's one of the most important things in any computation like this is, okay, you have a million dollars, what's the investment returns over the rest of your life? And so right there, I mean, oh my gosh, they probably went really conservative to make a point and said, all right, bank savings account. And what's the average you know, rates been over that? And they plug that in. Well, okay, yeah, I guess if you put it all in cash, uh, it may not last that long. I remember uh, this person came in and, and you know, she probably read an article saying, in, invest 10% in your 401k for 35 years, you'll be fine at retirement. All of her co-workers were, but she wasn't, and she couldn't figure out why. They all had a million dollars in their 401k plan. She had 150 grand, and she was in her mid-60s. And I said, well, what are you invested in? She said, well, cash. How long have you been in cash? She said, 35 years. I'm afraid of the market. I'm like, well, there's the problem that the return that's computed in your retirement plan was so bad. Now, hers was an actual return. And so taking too much security sometimes can be a problem. You have no growth. The other thing it didn't point out was this person, you know, whoever they're they're looking at as an investment probably didn't have a lifetime annuity. Lifetime annuities don't run out. And they're saying you're going to run out of money in 10 years in Hawaii and in 20 years on the best states, 22 years and 15 in a lot of states. Well, how do you run out of money if you have Social Security and, and guaranteed lifetime cash flow annuities and you've taken care of your cash flow needs through your financial planning? So, boy, there's a lot of stuff missing in that, but those are the ones that really jumped out at me. Brian, I think the takeaway here is that proper planning really alleviates you from a lot of these misconceptions. Yeah, and and that's just it. I mean, there is no panacea, no easy button in all of this, but planning with all the tools in the toolboxes we talk about on this show, taking into account the tax ramifications, doing a full financial plan, you know, uh, looking year by year, the rest of your year, annually doing reviews and understanding how, how, you know, some of the opportunities you have, whether it's Roth conversions or others. And and there's just a lot to it that, unfortunately, I think most of the financial planning industry kind of misses. I know they do, you know, where they're just product oriented. They're selling a particular product. And so I call it the, you know, they're a hammer, you're a nail. And I think most people listening to this have been, you know, subject to one of those sales pitches at some point in their life where it's like, okay, you're pushing something on me. You're trying to get me to say yes to. Okay. How about asking me some questions? How about being curious about my situation? How about tailoring something to me to help my life, not to help your life? So that, that to me, jumps out at kind of differentiating us maybe from other financial advisors. If you want a holistic plan, you really want to dive into the details of the subject that we've talked about here, I invite you to give us a call at Madrona Financial and CPAs and ask for your Madrona analysis. Very simple to get that. All you've got to do is call 833-673-7373 right now and request your Madrona analysis. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime. You've got to have at least $500,000 of investable assets. It's just a conversational analysis. Now, as a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of Brian's book, Seven 
seven steps to a successful retirement. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice in the other end of the line who will set you up with an advisor at Padrona Financial who will happily talk to you on a one-on-one basis about your individual needs, your wants, your goals, and your dreams, and answer the questions that will prevent you from running out of money in retirement. Once again, there's no cost. There is no obligation for this. Get 2024 off to a good start by making that call this weekend. Again, that number, 833-673-7373. Make that call this weekend. Phone lines are open right now. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs about how long a million dollars last in retirement in each of the states. Mississippi was the one you could last 22.7 years. That was the best. Hawaii was the worst for retirees, suggesting that a million dollars would last about 10.3 years. Brian, let's say that someone calls our number 833-673-7373 and requests their Madrona analysis, and they come to you with a 401k, and they ask you, how can you make this money last? Where do you start with a task like that. Yeah, I'll just kind of summarize our, our five, six, seven, because there, there are five things that money can do for you uh, to summarize growth, liquidity, security, cash flow, and tax savings. And so one of the things that we, we have to figure out is what are we solving for? We need to look at your particular situation. You know, maybe you have enough money. You don't necessarily need to grow it so much. I know we all want to grow our money. We want it to provide cash flow, be secure, all that stuff. But it can't do all of that all at the same time with one investment. So we need to prioritize. So we figure out what is the priority. Often for retirees, it's cash flow first, security second, growth third. And so uh, once we have that priority, that's that's the five. Now we go to the six. We have all the tools in the toolbox as to where to invest it. Certain investments are really good with cash flow. Uh, lifetime income annuities are really good with cash flow. Some real estate or credit fund, you know, real estate investment trusts and credit funds, those kinds of things, Delaware statutory trust, they can be really good with cash flow. Certain things are better for growth and security, again, and liquidity and, and tax savings. Then we figure out that. We, we figure out all the, the different investment options we have to have a portfolio designed to last 30 plus years, not one that will last you 10 plus years in <laughs> Hawaii only, you know, that kind of thing. And then finally, we take you through the, the seven financial routes to sustain wealth. And the first one is a lifestyle plan. And, and often in retirement, I redefine that as cash flow. You need cash flow to live the lifestyle you want to live. So we make sure that that is figured out. A growth plan. We always want to grow our assets. That's the second thing we want to go to. And most people don't want all their assets in a high growth, you know, because that also means it can lose money. If an investment can go way up, it can lose money too. And so we have to balance that with other investments that are non-correlated. The next one is a protection plan. I think most people in retirement want to know that they have security. They don't want to have to go back to work. If something happens to them, they don't want to leave their spouse in a lurch. They don't want to leave their, their kids with nothing, you know, their charities, whatever. So a protection plan, which can be a lot of different things, but that is huge. That is a huge part of retirement planning. And you notice I didn't say anything about buying a particular product yet. No. I'm talking about the planning. The next one is a tax plan. Is anybody listening file a Form 1040? Just asking. I, I think oh, so, yeah. Uh, everybody, don't put up your hand. If you're, if you're driving around, keep both hands on the oh, wheel. The real, yeah. Don't put up your hand when I ask these questions. You know, and and so, gosh, a tax plan seems pretty important. It's your biggest uh, yeah. expense probably of your lifetime. And the problem is that most advisors, a vast majority of advisors, are not licensed to give tax advice, period. And has your uh, advisor, if you have one, asked for a copy of your Form 1040 and analyzed it with you? 
Probably not. Oh, good. Nobody raised their hand that time. So keep your hands on the wheel. The fifth one is a health care plan. And that's beyond just, oh, when do I apply for Medicare and which Medicare policy do I you know, supplement, do I pick and all that? No, it can be long-term care. It can be in the years leading up to long, needing long-term care. It usually doesn't happen overnight. You, you, know, you don't go from, well, I was climbing a mountain one day and the next day I was in a nursing home. Well, unless you fell, I guess. But, yeah. you know, it's usually a gradual kind of thing where uh, there's certain things we can do. So a health care plan is important. Uh, sixth is a gift plan. And a gift plan involves helping others while you're alive, essentially. That can be your family. That can be people you know. It could be charities. It's all the things that give us a reason to get up out of bed when we're retired. We're not, you know, we're, our reason is not our, our workplace anymore. It's not being a landlord. It's not being an engineer. It's not being whatever. Maybe not even being uh, so much of a parent anymore, even though we, we always are if we have kids. Yeah. Uh, so a, a gift plan can be many other things uh, while you're alive. And finally, a legacy plan. You worked hard your whole life. Uh, you don't want to give the money to the government that you don't have to. You want it to go where you want it to go. And there's a lot to uh, estate planning, uh, analyzing uh, your will or living trust, making sure you have credit shelter trust provisions, trust provisions in there to have money, uh, do what you want to do after you've passed or are incapacitated, all that kind of thing. So again, the seven steps are a lifestyle plan, a growth plan, protection, tax, health care, gifting, and a legacy. Well, that's more than selling you an annuity or putting you in a 60-40 stock bond split like a lot of folks are, are, are out there doing. There's so much more to having a holistic financial plan done, and that's what we like to do. Brian, when should somebody begin with these seven steps? Yeah, I think that's really a timing kind of thing because, you know, most people in their 20s, 30s, 40s aren't really thinking about a health care plan, a legacy planning, all that kind of stuff. They're just trying to get through life, get their kids through school, get them there on time, that kind of thing. And so maybe theirs is more just making sure they're in the right kind of growth investments within their 401k. They're putting enough money in or it's going into the Roth side of things where appropriate, et cetera. So certainly with that, but a lot of people we work with kind of have a, a time frame in mind. It's like, I want to retire in five years or I'm already retired. I want to live the best life I can for the next 15 years before I get too old to enjoy things. They have some kind of timing issue there and they have $500,000 or more. So, you know, certainly again with the 20, 30, 40s, uh, I don't remember ever having $500,000 when I was those ages, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I was investing in, in my business, my 401k plan and, and all that kind of thing. But it was a different kind of thing. I, it was more a budgeting exercise. It was where can I cut some of the expenses I have? Where, you know, where can I be smart with my money? And so it was more, of a, again, a budgeting exercise to get to the point where someday, okay, now I don't have to worry about that so much. Now I can engage my firm, essentially, and do real financial planning, retirement planning, because I have enough money to do that with, and it's not about budgeting anymore. So again, you know, a lot, one of the things I've talked about on the show a lot is when you're doing you know, your own retirement planning or any kind of planning, and you're in your late 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s, or whatever, take a look at the next five years. What do you want it to look like in five years from now? What do you want your life to look like? What do you want, you know, all the different lifestyle planning pieces, steps that we talked about on this show today and reverse engineer it. And that's something you can do right now, even though you you may decide, okay, I want a certain life in five years. Don't wait five years to start thinking about that. Think about it right now to engineer that to happen in five years. Or maybe it's a one year, maybe you have a several plans. You have a one year plan, a three year, a five year, and a 15, whatever it is. But we can work with you to reverse engineer that to uh, make sure that you have the best chance of ha- uh, living the life you want to live. 
If you're listening to the program right now and, and you're asking yourself, you know, I'm not sure that the money that I have is going to last in retirement. Maybe you've got some questions about that. If you need answers, I want you to call this number 833-673-7373. You can do it today and request your Madrona analysis, which will involve how long your money is going to last. And if it's not going to last long enough, you can make some changes to make it last as long as it can. Once again, that number is 833-673-7373 and request your Madrona analysis. Do it today. It's just a conversational analysis that will put you on a path towards retirement in which you not only survive, but you thrive. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to make sure that you don't run out of money in retirement. Get that solution by calling 833-673-7373. Phone lines are open right now. You can do it today. If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. I'm Jeff Shade. We just finished discussing how far your money may go in today's economy. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You'll get this show and weekday takeaways so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be discussing seven mistakes that many landlords make when it comes to their real estate portfolio when our show continues. Stay with us. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to Growing Your Wealth. I'm Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this next segment, we'll be talking about seven mistakes many landlords make when it comes to their real estate portfolio. And Brian, you know, the market stresses me out. The bond situation is a little volatile, but, you know, real estate looks pretty good to me. I mean, I could just take all of my money and I could invest it in real estate to me on the surface. I mean, you know, real estate appreciates like crazy. There's great cash flow, but that is not really the case. Why would anyone not want to be a landlord today? Yeah, there's kind of two folks I'm talking to in this segment. One group is the ones that come to me and say, you know what, I'm retiring from my job. I think I'm going to go into uh, buying rentals. I'm like, ooh, you're in your 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you done this before? Are you really good at it? Do you know how to buy under market? You know, do you know something the market doesn't? You could buy, you know, special properties and all that stuff. And do you have time on your side? Because real estate investing is really a long-term, you know, if you want to generally have big success in it, you need time on your side. And so when I'm talking 20, 30 years, you know, most people that are very successful in real estate, you know, they have a time frame of decades, not minutes or hours or right. days or months or a couple of years. And so, you know, there's always exceptions to everything I say on here. Of course, you could have bought in a place in suburb of Dallas the last couple of years or St. Petersburg, you know, in Florida. And, and boy, you doubled your value of your real estate in two, three years. Well, congratulations. Not everybody in the country has that. So I'm talking about that group of people. And then also I'm talking about people that have been long-term investors in real estate. And it's been great for them. They, they have been in there for decades. The example I'm going to use today is someone that paid, say, $500,000 for a 12-plex a bunch of years ago, decades ago. And let's say that 12-plex is worth $2 million. So when I ask them, well, what do you think about your real estate investment? It's awesome. It's gone way up in value. It gives me cash flow and all this stuff. So that's really the kind of the question. I was like, well, why wouldn't everybody just do that, you know, and, and, and hang on to that kind of thing? So we want to talk about what are the potential problems that we're not seeing, even in an investment that we think overall has been really, really good. 
Yeah, there are a lot of hidden costs, things that people don't see, and they really don't consider those. But when you dive into them, they can be quite considerable, and they can make the difference between being a success and a failure at this. So where do we start with this? What would be one of the first hidden costs that people neglect to realize is actually out there? Well, the big one is repairs. And so, you know, one of the things you may want to look at is if you pull out your Form 1040 and you go to Schedule E, page one, it'll be listing your rentals there. And there's a line on there that says repairs. Now, maybe they were zero this last year. Maybe uh, you want to look at a couple years and you look back a year and you go, oops, oh yeah, my roof. The tenant moved out. We had to replace the bathroom floor because they you know, didn't buy, buy a shower curtain. We had driveway repairs. We had all kinds of siding, whatever, water damage, a bunch of repair expense. So repairs, you know, there's, there's two aspects to this. And repairs itself is not even, the, I don't think, the primary aspect. The primary aspect of repairs, and I remember this fellow called me who got to a point in his life where the real estate had been great, but he had owned it for 30 years. And when he bought it, the apartment complex, it was 40 years old. Well, based on my advanced math skills here, uh, that's 70 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> that that apartment is yep. today. It's the item of deferred maintenance. Deferred maintenance is the stuff that you haven't spent the money on yet. It's replacing the elevator in that apartment complex that's 30, 40 years old and won't pass next inspection. It's the new roof that's going to have to go on because that hasn't been replaced. It's the age of things. Things are wearing out. And if anybody's been out there trying to hire contractors lately, those prices have gone way up. It's harder to find people to do it. Good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. And so, you know, people used to say, well, I think the roof's probably, what, 20 grand? They get a bid and it's 120. Yeah. And I go, whoa, what what happened? Uh, It's called inflation. (laughs) Inflation. (laughs) You know, know, you're you're still in 1995 prices and, and no, it's not that anymore. And so once you factor in not only the actual cost of repairs, when you do this calculation, I'm, I'm going to ask everybody that owns rentals to basically do a, a mental calculation because, you know, you think you're making a certain amount, but now, oh yeah, I got to deduct not only the repairs I made, the cost of those, and include your time. If it, Well, it didn't cost me anything. Of course, I spent 800 hours in my basement, you know, redoing it or whatever. <laughs> uh, that that's, that's cost. That costs you life. That costs you time in your retirement you could have spent doing things you want to do instead but not only the actual cost of repairs but the bigger potential cost the cost of deferred maintenance that's going to happen under your watch at some point in the next several years yeah and when you talk about the cost i mean you were talking about a roof costing you know 50 100 grand i mean how much is it going to cost to put in a new hvac system they don't last forever either or maybe a water heater something like that so repair cost certainly is a consideration what about the cost of insurance does that go up and how does that figure into this conversation yeah, well, again, uh, the cost of insurance, everybody knows, you know, you got to insure your property and so forth. But what's happened lately is uh, I've seen a lot of people just, oh my gosh, uh, there's been some hurricanes. There's been different kinds of disasters. There's the weather uh, maybe such that you've got uh, insurance companies saying, well, we got to spread this cost out. And a lot of people are shocked at, you know, it used to be cost of insurance is really low. I, I remember, you know, owning a firm. I was like, man, it's $175 a month for health insurance for me. You know, so yeah. now I pay for, you know, 35 people's health insurance. Sure. It's like, well, let me tell you, it's a lot more than $175 a month. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the prices have gone up in, in certain areas. But insurance is one of those that you never really think about too much. 
But now that uh, we've had so many, again, natural disasters and so forth, weather-related kinds of things, that uh, we're seeing the cost of insurance being jacked up on a lot of different kinds of properties, especially in certain parts of the country, you know, Florida and, and so forth, the hurricane risk and all that. But we're seeing it across the board. So the cost of insurance, again, it might be something you think you're spending a certain amount for and you go, oh, wait, I'm actually spending a lot more. And what's it going to be? Again, what's it going to be in the if you continue to own this property of yours? Yeah, and that's a good point, Brian. When we have those massive fires in Hawaii and we have the hurricanes in Florida and different parts of the country, the insurance industry spreads that cost amongst all of us. All of our rates are going to go up and it's like taxes. You ask somebody, do you think insurance rates are going to go up or down? Well, oh, good I, one, Jeff. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're going to yeah. go up. I ask, you know, I do these live seminars and all that. Does anybody in this room think income tax rates are going to go down? In the, you know, and they all like, what a stupid question that is. I'm <laughs> like, oh, come on. And uh, we heard that about inflation. Oh, prices are coming down. Like, no, they're not. They're not coming down. They're increasing at a decreasing rate from where they were increasing. That's not the same as going down. When something goes from 10 to 15, and then it goes from 15 to 16, you, you can't say it went down. Just the rate of increase went down. So, you know, we have to be careful about that. And let's talk about vacancies. I mean, with a commercial property, typically you have multi-year leases. They can be 10, 15 years. But with a residential property, typically the uh, leases are around a year or so. And sometimes people, even with a lease, don't care about that. They'll move out in the middle of the night. So let's talk about vacancies. That's a big consideration that people just do not think about. Yeah, again, in my example, let's say you paid for 500000 for your 12-plex. It's worth $2 million now. And when I ask, almost invariably, I ask, well, what's your return on, on that? And they'll say, well, 8%. And I'll say, oh, okay, so you're making 40000 a year in, in net rents. And they go, yeah. I say, is that net or gross? Oh, well, yeah, gross. I, I make forty grand a year in rent is what I charge for that. So it's 8% because I paid five hundred grand for it. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we're, we're computing that wrong. So we already uh, went after a couple things. First off, let's start with the 40000 because that's what you're grossing. We got to take out the cost of repairs. Now we got to take out uh, kind of amortize the cost of deferred maintenance, stuff that you haven't repaired yet that you're going to repair. We just talked about insurance and increasing insurance rates because insurance isn't going down anytime soon. Now I get to ask, well, you have a 12-plex. Have you ever in the last couple decades had somebody move out and look at you like, yeah. What a stupid question that is. Of course, Brian, of course people have moved out. They move out all the time. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been vacant? Well, I'm vacant because I got to fix the place. I got to repaint it. I got to put in a new carpet. They've trashed the carpet maybe. I got to do some repairs. Now I got to advertise it. I got to pay my property manager to re-rent it, a fee on that based on, you know, maybe a month's rent or whatever it is. Sometimes they sit for a while to get the right tenant. Gosh, lately I'm not even allowed to pick the tenant. Uh, The tenant picks me. I have to take the first application that comes in because the new landlord-tenant rules, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the cost of vacancies needs to be computed in this. And that, you know, when they, when they say they're making 8%, they're probably not telling me about vacancy costs. So absolutely, you know, and again, in my example, I got a 12-plex. People are moving all the time. And, and so uh, maybe you're lucky. Maybe you have the same tenant forever. But the problem with that even and I'll throw out a problem there. They'll say, nope, I've got a great tenant. It's been there 20 years. Uh, and I know the answer to the next question before I ask it. I said, so when's the last time you raised rent? Oh, yeah. Um, I really haven't done that because they're a really good tenant. They take care of it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. 
for them. I, I get that. But uh, you probably aren't renting it at market value, are you? And they're like, no, no, not even close. I'm like, okay, well, there is a cost to a long-term tenant and there is a cost to a short-term tenant. Both of them are a cost when it comes to computing your rate of return. I'm just talking about rate of return here in owning uh, investment real estate. Yeah, and you were talking about vacancies. If the apartment or the house is vacant for, let's say, two months, you're charging $2,500 a month. I mean, that's five grand right there that you're missing out in rents, not to mention the repair costs. So that can be really, really quite significant. We talked about insurance rates going up. I mean, taxes, that's another thing you got to consider. Yeah, taxes. Again, you think they're going to go down. So not only do we have the taxes we're paying, but we also want to compute. If you say, well, I'm just going to hang on to my, my rentals for the rest of my life. I'm 65, 75, whatever. I'm just going to hang on to them forever. Well, forever is a finite period for all of us. We're all mortal. And so we have to consider that. Do we think taxes will go down? And we're talking property taxes, federal income taxes, state income taxes, capital gains taxes, if you sell all these different taxes. And so uh, it's a huge area to to think about. You know, when you think about your rentals and, and taxes, you're thinking property taxes. Well, you know they have gone up and they continue to go up. You absolutely know that. You know that the income tax rate's probably not going to go down anytime soon. Again, I ask people, do you think they'll ever come down? And of course not. They have to go up. We have a huge national debt. State income taxes. Don't know a lot of states that are cutting their state income taxes. Nope. But the big one is, I think, capital gains taxes. Yeah. Because let's just say that you've decided, well, yeah, I'm going to sell at some point and and I'll sell and I'll pay my my capital gains tax, my depreciation recapture, all these different income taxes. Is that a necessity? No, absolutely not. And we don't have a a lot of time to go into it on today's show. I have plenty of stuff on my website talking about how somebody that owns investment real estate, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a 12-plex. It can be raw land, a farm, an apartment building, an office building, whatever. Investment real estate, how they can do a Section 1031 exchange and exchange into something called a Delaware Statutory Trust and alleviate themselves from having to pay the repair bill, the insurance bill, worrying about vacancy taxes, all that kind of stuff and landlord duties and get their life back and get cash flow and not have to pay the income tax upon the sale. And that's the big one. It's a deferral of income tax, which potentially with a step up in basis could be an elimination of income tax. But again, that's a big topic. I'm not going to cover it too much today. But cost of taxes is the fourth of our problem areas uh, with real estate that uh, not only are the taxes you know need to be computed into your analysis, but increases in potential taxes and income taxes, whether state or federal or capital gains or depreciation recapture. Oh boy, we have all of these taxes to talk yeah. about. That they can be a function in analyzing, does it make sense to continue to own this property as is or not? If you're listening to the program today, you are a landlord and you're wondering about the profitability of your portfolio, we invite you to call 833-673-7373 and request your complimentary Madrona analysis. As part of the analysis, we'll take a look at all the factors that would dictate how profitable your portfolio is. You may be surprised that you're not making as much money as you thought. If you want some answers, then call 833-673-7373 and request your Madrona analysis. Just a conversational analysis between you and a Madrona advisor to get your questions answered. Again, it's not going to cost you anything. 
You've got to have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify. But if you do qualify, we'll send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. The phone lines are open right now. You can make that call today, 833-673-7373. Why don't you find out exactly where you are with your real estate portfolio and if you're really making the money that you think you are, you may be surprised. 833-673-7373 is that number to call for your Madrona analysis and phone lines are open right now. Brian, let's continue down our list of things that people don't really realize are expenses when you own investment real estate. We've talked about repairs, insurance, vacancies, and taxes. There are also administration fees and legal fees, right? There sure is. And before I get into that, I, you know, I'm thinking about this list of the costs and we're, we're putting all this into monetary terms. What is the cost of the stress of thinking about your rentals essentially 24-7? I mean, I talk to landlords all the time and they say, well, I have a property manager. I'm not the landlord. I'm like, oh, you don't think about your rental? And they almost invariably say, all the time. I'm always thinking about them. I get calls, you know, should we replace this? Should we not? Should we kick this tenant? Should we take this tenant to court who's not paying rent? Should we not? When are you going to replace that roof or what the HVAC or whatever? You know, it's like, no, they think about it. It's stressful. Whether they know it or not is there. Uh, and then I have others that say, no, my cash flow is pretty good. You know, again, because I spent 800 hours working on, on my rentals. And, you know, and I literally had this recently. One of my landlord clients came in. His arm was in a cast. He couldn't move his shoulder and all that mm. stuff. I'm like, yep, working on a rental, right? Because I know that's all he does. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I said, why are you still doing that? You're in your 70s. Your net worth is awesome. Well, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, I don't either. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe we should, you know, kind of think about what do you want your, again, like first half of the show, what do you want your life to look like in five years? Do you want to have, you know, two arms and casts? Yeah. Your leg too? I'm, come on, you know, is that the life you want to live? If so, great, do it. But I knew it wasn't in his case, and he just hadn't decided that the pain of change was less than the pain of continuing on his old ways. And so really that was a kind of a hit him between the eyes kind of moment for him. And he, he knew I was right, and he was trying to get his head around it. It's like, wow, because I identify as a landlord. That's what I've done my whole life. But do I need to for the rest of my life? Can I change? Can I not be up on a ladder in my 70s working on stuff when I don't even need to save the money? I got plenty of values. So, you know, we talk about the time and stress and energy and, you know, finite time for certainly for people in their 60s, 70s, 80s and so forth. These are important costs too. But back to your question, Jeff, legal and account uh, admin fees, you know, and accounting fees, we'll, we'll call it. Legal is starting to rear its ugly head in a lot of areas because of changes in landlord tenant laws. And you've got tenants that don't want to move and don't pay their rent anymore. And really it's, you know, you can't get them out and like you used to be able to. And so times have changed. And that's certainly happening in a lot of urban areas where, uh, you know, post COVID when the rules change uh, temporarily and then permanently for a lot of areas that uh, it's very difficult. You know, the, the laws are getting stacked up against landlords uh, as I have seen. Right. And a lot of my landlords are coming to me going, I can't do this anymore. It was great to be a landlord in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. It is terrible to be one today. I'm the enemy of the state. I feel like, you know, I'm, everybody's after me and I can't even 
even control my own property, who's going to be in it, whether they pay rent or not. I can't force anything on anybody. And it's my property and I'm, I'm treated like a, you know, they feel like they're treated like a criminal sometimes. And so that can be enough to say, you know, I would love to hear about other options. But uh, again, this topic today is some of the problem areas that maybe you don't really think about. And when you add them up together, you go, yeah, I, I really should analyze. What is my real rate of return from a dollars and cents standpoint? I'd like to know that. And then individually, I can assess what is the cost to me, my stress level and my time. Hidden cost about being a landlord. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial. The next one is depreciation recapture. Now, I don't know exactly what that is. I've got a good idea, but I'll let you explain it. Yeah, I want to explain this complex topic in understandable terms. That's what my, my staff says is my superpower. So let's let's give it a shot here. <laughs> okay. So in this case, uh, we had the $500,000 12-plex you bought a couple decades ago. Now it's worth $2 million. When you sell it, you say, well, I've got a $1.5 million gain, right? Two million less the five hundred I paid. I said, nope. You have to do something called depreciation recapture because remember when you had that tax advantage all those years, you got to write off depreciation. They go, oh, yeah. Uh, well, you wrote off four hundred of that five hundred thousand dollars. Why four hundred? Because we had to allocate a hundred to the land, and you can't depreciate land. So four hundred was to the structure, and that's been fully depreciated. You took four hundred thousand dollars of deductions, and because you were in a low tax bracket during your younger years, you were in, let's say you're in the ten percent bracket. Well, that gave you a forty thousand dollar benefit. Four hundred thousand of depreciation over at 10%, $40,000 benefit. You go, oh, okay, so I gotta pay that back? I'm like, well, no, oh, good, good. No, you gotta pay a lot more than 40 grand back because now in your recapture, you're gonna do it all in one year and you gotta pay it at the 25% bracket, not the 10 that you benefited from over all those years. Plus you got your state income tax potentially on top of that. So you may have gotten a $40,000 tax actual cash benefit from the IRS over all those years you were taking depreciation. And when you sell that and don't do a 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust, when you sell that property, your tax might look more like $120,000 all at once at your highest marginal brackets. And that is depreciation recapture in a nutshell, that you got some benefit, but when you pay it back very, very often, because it's all at once instead of spread out over many years, it's at higher brackets, much, much higher brackets, and you might be paying back triple what you benefited from over the years. Brian, I think about the person that uh, bought the property many years ago. It was a great neighborhood, you know, a lot of families and so forth. But these days, you know, not so much. There are a lot of people coming and going late at night and they're going to the back window and so forth. And, you know, there's some nefarious activity. Neighborhoods don't always improve. They can really go south, too. Yeah, I've had a lot of that. Uh, certainly, again, in the urban areas, that can be an issue. And one of the issues with neighborhoods, as I think about it, is it might have been a great neighborhood when you bought the, let's call it the 12plex in my example, 30 years ago, let's say. And the 12plex was, you know, 10 years old, 20 years old. Well, now it's 50 years old. And that neighborhood hasn't had a lot of investment over the last 30 years because the investment has gone to the suburbs. It's gone to other areas, new developments, new neighborhoods and so forth. And so people are moving into them and the cheaper ones are the ones that you were in way back when. So your 12plex used to be the nicest 12plex in the, in the city. Now it's kind of a dump compared to the brand new apartments that are in the suburbs and so forth. So just by the nature of time passing and money being reinvested into real estate in other areas and your property becoming the, the cheaper option, when you have cheaper options, it's tougher 
effort to get as high quality of a tenant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we can see that just demographics change over time and people move, you know, to, to other areas, maybe again, the suburbs and so forth from where you're at and the neighborhood that you're in just, you know, used to be all homeowners. And now as time has passed, the other nice houses has gone up everywhere else. And now it's a you know, the whole neighborhood is renters and not to say renters are bad or good, bad or indifferent, but it changes the nature of, of the real estate. So yes, value of your real estate can go down based upon demographic changes as much as other issues. So Brian, I think we have established that there are some properties that are not the perfect investment. As a matter of fact, there is no really perfect investment, but how do you help people determine whether they should continue with their properties or sell it? Yeah, I mean, the first thing we do, and you know, this may sound like uh, Brian's saying, oh, he's going to get you in there and tell you to sell your property. And that's just not the case. And I, I started thinking about uh, my meetings with people that own real estate, and it's really close to about a 50-50. We do the analysis, and we talk to the person, and I'd say more than 50% of the time, the analysis says you could do better uh, selling it and doing something else, which we'll talk about in a second. But often, uh, there's other reasons why they don't want to sell which makes sense. So in the final analysis, you know, we've we've helped clients move close to $200 million of real estate out of active management into passive management so they don't have to be the active landlord anymore and deal with the all these issues I talked about. But what that also means is about half the time we determine it doesn't make sense to sell at this time. So the first thing that we're going to do is going to sit down with you and analyze what is your real rate of return. That's what this, this segment's about is helping you understand some of the attributes we're going to look at when analyzing what's your real rate of return. So again, in my example, uh, the person came to me and said they're making 8%. And then final analysis, often that's one to two. So let's say, okay, it's one to 2%. So that means I need to sell this. I'm like, not yet. So the next part of our analysis will be, this may sound funny, but me and all of my advisors that work at Madrona Financial are trained to now talk you out of wanting to sell that. And what I mean by talking you out of it, we're going to bring up the issues that would be in place to where you really shouldn't sell. And we want to make sure that that isn't in place before we talk about why you could sell. So one of the issues we would bring up is, do you have enough taxable gains to need to do a 1031 exchange? Because if you don't, then you wouldn't need to do one and uh, you could just sell your real estate and you wouldn't have any taxes to pay anyway. So we, the, the big you know, bugaboo of selling real estate is the income tax and depreciation recapture. So if you inherited your real estate, for instance, you have a step up in basis, maybe you don't have enough gains and you should not do a 1031 exchange. Another reason would be I'm talking to somebody 45 years old and they say, you know, I'm in the get rich stage of my life. I like doing real estate. I want to build my portfolio. I'm like, well, then don't do a 1031 exchange into passive. Continue to be active. Build up your real estate. Build your real estate portfolio, your your empire. Do that kind of thing. Do your uh, value add. You like repairing them and you're you know energetic and, and, and that's kind of a cool thing to do to build your own wealth. So that would be another situation not to do it. And the other one that jumps out at me is where people really don't know what else they do with their time. And so it's kind of their, their reason for living. They don't really have hobbies or maybe family or spouse or whatever. They just don't know what else they do. It's kind of their fun. And I, I can't poke fun at that. I mean, people might say, well, that sounds silly. How could repairing toilets be your fun? But I have had clients mm. say, that is my fun time. And I have to chuckle because I've told people my happy place is doing Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> Most people think that's kind of silly. I don't understand that. I think it's perfectly normal. Yeah. So everybody's normal is different. And so I like doing spreadsheets. Some people like changing toilets. I don't like toilets. They probably don't like 
like spreadsheets. So if that's what you do and that's your identity, then fine. Don't sell your property. But if you go, well, that's not my identity. I do have lots of gains. I think it's gone up in value a lot. It's been a great investment for many years, but I don't know the future is going to be the same as the past when it comes to that. So if that was your answer and we haven't been able to talk you out of it for one of those three components, that's when we start talking about what are your options, whether you can do your own 1031 exchange or whether you can uh, do passive, which is typically you know what we come up with once we've gotten to this point, passive 1031 exchange through something called the Delaware Statutory Trust. If you're an active landlord and you're not sure how much you're making on your property, you want to find out, or you want to know whether or not you should sell your property again, we invite you to ask for your Madrona analysis that will include these topics. To get yours, call 833-673-7373. Totally complimentary, and there is no obligation. Phone lines are open right now, 833-673-7373. You've got to have at least $500,000 of investable assets. And if you do, we will send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Once again, that phone number, 833-673-7373. Well, Brian, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend, won't you? Be sure to join us again next week for another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your own individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DSD investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuers offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliate entities. Madrona Financial Services LLC, Madrona and Bauer Evans Inc. PC. Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.